Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here we go. 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 This is it. This is Top Flight Time Machine. I am Andy Dawson. I am Sam Delaney. Hey, thank you. Hey, thank you. <laughs> Welcome along to episode 27 of the Keegan Odyssey, where we're plowing through Kevin Keegan's autobiography, My Life as an Electric Mouse. And we are up to the stage now. We're almost at the halfway point of the book here in episode 27. Fucking and it's, it's the season... 95, 96. Best season. Best season yeah, ever. When, best when time ever. So close. This is the best time in human history, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much because we had Euro uh, 96. We were building up tonight. Eltel was the manager of England. Did I tell you, while we're talking mm. Euros, did I tell you recently I'd applied for some Euro 2020 tickets? Oh, yeah. Because you've got to so go I. into the ballot. So I. I did that. I thought that was another Andy Dawson logistical solution. That I followed, yeah. yeah. And I, I've been trying. I've been looking at hotels as well, but you you can't book more than twelve months in advance, so that's a non-starter for now. But the final of Euro twenty twenty, yeah. it's on my birthday. Oh, well, mate, I've put in for four tickets for the final. So have now, I. if it comes through, it's going to cost me a fucking packet. Yeah. But I don't care. I'll stick it on a credit card or something because I could fucking make a profit off of them if I didn't want to use all four. Of course you could. It's I've, I've applied for three and a half thousand pounds worth of tickets. Yeah, I did about the same. <laughs> I did about the same. I did every every London, every Wembley game. Yeah. And Wembley, Glasgow, Dublin. I did Dublin. I don't think I did Glasgow. And Dublin will work out more expensive than Glasgow, probably. But yeah, it'll just be such a laugh. You got to do it. I might go back on and do some more. Yeah, I might Spain, do some more. Fuck it. Amsterdam. You might as well just do a load because then law of averages, some will come through. Hmm. Anyway, ninety five, ninety six. It was the best time, wasn't it? The football league was brilliant, right? Newcastle yeah. were on fire. It was a brilliant title running. Manchester United were great. The Liverpool Spice Boys. It ended in that Liverpool Spice Boys final that Cantona won. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, you yeah. had so United did the double. All the great pop bands in the charts, like Republica. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we should refer people back to our episode of Top Flight Time Machine, which covers 95, yeah. 96, which we did over a year ago. For, you know, further listening, go back um, to that. I was easily triggerable in this period, and I was oh, yeah, being triggered. It was the time of I was loaded, being triggered wasn't it? Not, not left, know? right, and centre. Loaded magazine loaded was in it. We've been triggered all over the place. We had um, Caffrey's. We had um, yeah. Hooch. Caffrey's. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing about Caffrey's. it was, mate. Was it a lager? Was it a bitter? Nobody knew. Nobody knew. And that was the sort of era this was. I wasn't drinking Caffrey's. I was drinking Carlin Premier. Oh, which the... was the smooth Carlin lager with yeah. the lovely head on it. Nice. 
Uh, it was all about creamy heads in this era. Creamy heads. Because Boddington's like, yeah, had the ad with Mel Sykes in, and that was very big, wasn't it? The cream of Manchester. Yeah. And yeah. Um, cream people loved creamy heads. Yeah. That was what 95, was cream, 96 cream, was all yeah. about. Um, hooch with vodka. So that's a, an alcohol mixed, and the mixer is alcoholic in itself. That was Fucking good. Um, and, of course, our old friends... Ecstasy, cocaine, marijuana. All of these things were rampant. <laughs> Crush. Tony, Tony Blair was not yet in power, but that was when he was almost at his best. But we were ready we for were him. We were ready for him. The country was ready for him. And he, it was like Tony Blair was better just before he got into power. That was when he was peak Tony Blair. He was doing his headers with Keegan, yeah. which we'll probably get on to. Yeah. In fact, there's a lot of Blair in this book, isn't there? Is there? I haven't got to that bit yet. I'm just reading it as we do it. Okay. But Keegan talks about that season. He says, We'd led from the opening weekend in August all the way through to March 23rd. Throughout all that time, I was convinced we were going to do it. And I still firmly believe history will remember that team with great affection. And until our collapse, I doubt there were any neutrals who would have begrudged us the biggest domestic prize of all. Um, no one can take away what we'd achieved since I found the club in the relegation quagmire of the old second division. They're in a flaming quagmire, eh, Terry? <clears throat> We're going to need a rope and maybe a couple of anchors and pull it out. <laughs> What's a quagmire? <laughs> Is that one of them words you picked up when you're living in Spain? I tell you what we could do. We could tie some ropes to the back of me burger van and then tie the other the other end onto Newcastle United and slowly pull it out of the quagmire. I had a mate once who fell in the mazy. <clears throat> And he got picked up by the current, and it's very hard to get out of a of a current in the Mersey because that's a scouse current, so it's extra hard. <laughs> Strongest current known to man. <laughs> so uh, he says, in the end, it all came down to the fact that Alex Ferguson's team had their championship-winning know-how, whereas the situation was very new to us. We were naive in many ways, and it was part of our charm. Look, mm-hmm. it's not fucking hard. You just keep winning matches. Yeah. You just don't not win it's matches. It's true that, isn't it? It's like all this sort of, well, you know, can they get their heads around it? Well, it's just football. You just yeah, win just the games. Win. And if you win the games, you'll win the league. Yeah. Simple as that. There's, there's all of this thing about, oh, well, they won the championship because they've been there before and they've done Bullshit. it. And, well, how did they do it for the first time? Exactly. You know. And also, and also, you know, there are players like Manchester City. They've just won it twice in a row. But in both cases, there were players, numerous players, who'd never won a league title before in the team that won the title. Yeah, exactly. They just happened to be wearing the same shirts as other cunts who once won the title. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Too many of our team lost their form at the worst possible time. We give it our best shot, but we were caught and overhauled by a tremendous side led by one of the greatest managers there has ever been. Uh, So none of it was his fault or his players' fault, really. Um in conclusion, everyone else can fuck themselves. Just because I signed, it, yeah. just because I signed Tino Aspria right at the last minute, and he came along and was completely fucking insane. That's not on me. That's Tino's fault or his parents. You've already there. You've mentioned Tino Aspria more than Kev does in this chapter about that season. Weird. He does not. He talk stays about well clear of it, all. doesn't he? He's done about three pages on his outburst on Sky Sports. 
which he's about to talk about. Uh, the modern narrative appears to be that my television outburst is the principal reason why the championship ed- trophy ended up at Old Trafford. No, no, it was the signing of a sprayer. That's why it happened. The popular view seems to be that mind games were the decisive factor. Apparently, my interview transmitted anxieties to my players, who in turn were reduced to nervous wrecks and raised a white flag of surrender. Oh, well's bells. In reality, the truth is much more mundane. Bearing in mind Manchester United were already down to their final match when I had my love it moment, they were very much in the box seat, having leapfrogged us at the top of the table five weeks earlier. And nobody really expected them to slip up at Middlesbrough on the final weekend of the season. The title race was virtually over. <laughs> so, uh, he, he, again, he just reverts back to type there and gets a little bit overexcited about it all. Never let the facts get in the way of a good story, I suppose, but the real damage was done when we went in a run of eight games from 21st of February to 8th of April and won a meagre seven points. That's With, a meagre uh, seven points, isn't it, Terry? You like? What's it's a very meagre. <laughs> I've got an Atari ST, not an Amiga. <laughs> and... Uh, so he's, he's debunking some myths, he says. While I am debunking a few myths, it isn't true that our title mission fell apart because of our painfully porous defence, or indeed that every single game at Newcastle was a goals bonanza. So he's fucking writing some wrongs here. Um, New- Manchester United were the leading scorers that season, and even Liverpool outscored Newcastle that season. 66 goals for Newcastle, 70 for Liverpool, 73 for Manchester United, and... We only conceded two more goals than the eventual champions. And until that final week, our goals against Columns were dead level. People thought it was 4-3 every week. It wasn't 4-3 every week. It only happened twice. Bastards. <laughs> Lying bastards. No, he makes an interesting point, though, because, um, yeah, I would absolutely... He has set some... He's, he's set me straight. i tell you that. I think it was that first season where they were, where they were a, a, you know, a goal-happy team when they carried on with Andy Cole from that, mm. from getting promoted. Yeah. And, they and then he tightened third, up. It, they had, I remember their bat for, cause it would have been Philippe Albert, wouldn't it? Yeah. I Darren think, Peacock. I think Darren Peacock and Shaka Hislop was probably in goal. Cernicek was in goal this season. I think Hislop came in the season after. Oh, okay. So um, Cernicek and then they had, and then the fullbacks of course were Barton and Beresford flying fullbacks, both blonde haired. Yeah. Steve Watson was there as well. I don't know if Barton came in the season after. I'm not sure. And then they had, and then they had um, the the their defensive mid. They had Rob Lee, didn't they, in midfield, Batty. and Lee Clark. David Batty. Oh, and as then well. Batty came in. Batty came they in. They signed that Batty halfway through. Yeah, he signed. He Batty came in around the, the same time as Espria. And Ginola on the left. Yeah, and or the um, right, wherever he Gilles- fucking wanted. G- Gillespie on the right, Ginola yeah. on the left. Yeah. And then up front, it was Ferdinand and Beardsley. Yeah. And then he signed a Spreer. Yeah. That's when it kind of went tits up. It was a fucking great team. But, like he says, United had an amazing team. Mm-hmm. And Liverpool, people look back and go, ah, Liverpool, they were just the Spice Boys back then. But it was a fucking incredible team that Liverpool yeah. had. And in other seasons, it might have won the league. That's why yeah. this was such a great season. All three of those were were brilliant. And he has a bit of a, a, a nod at Pavel Cernicek. I had annoyed Pavel in the build-up to the game by asking if he could be more like Peter Schmeichel and win us a match. Oh. <laughs> Just for once, Pavel. It's an Just idea. Just win us a match for once. I've got a couple of ideas I want to run past you, Pavel, if you don't mind. 
Yes, Have I'm always open to feedback and constructive criticism. Oh, good. Well, sit down then, Pavel. Here's my first tip. How about you fucking win us a game once in a while, like fucking Schmeichel does down the road? This is. This feels Just like. Just one. This feels like not so much constructive criticism as criticism. Call it what you want. <laughs> it feels like out and out abuse. <laughs> I'm not happy. And he talks about that 4 3 at Liverpool. It was shattering to say the least. And if you were watching on television, you would have seen Terry McDermott and myself slump behind the advertising boards when Stan Collymore slammed in the stoppage time winner. Ah, oh, I've, I've got to have a slump here. <laughs> Come and have a slump with me. <sighs> oh, I think I will, Terry Mack. There's only one thing to do in a situation like this, and that's to have a right good slump. <laughs> Even Shankly used to do a slump like this, you know. <laughs> Not very often, though, because we hardly ever lost. <laughs> I also remember Sammy Lee was lucky to get out of the stadium in one piece that night. Whoa, fucking hell. Sammy was a kid making his way through the ranks at Liverpool when Terry and myself were established players at Anfield in the 70s. 20 years on, he was part of Liverpool's coaching staff, sitting with their manager, Roy Evans, and he chose to celebrate Colin Moore's winner by prancing about oh, in front of our dugout. The famous Sammy what? Lee prance. Look at him! Look at him prancing about when we're trying to have a slump. <laughs> Cheeky bastards! This about sums it up. We're slumping. They're prancing. <laughs> I thought the game was going to end the exact other way round. <laughs> I was gearing myself up for a good prance. <laughs> and let me tell you, if I was in a position to prance, you'd see a better prance than that fat cunt's doing now. I remember also, him when he was just a kid coming through the ranks. Also, the size of Sammy Lee. Can you imagine Sammy Lee having a slump? You wouldn't be able to fucking tell. Hey, Sammy. Sammy, stop fucking prancing. It's disrespectful. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy, to be fair, did apologise afterwards. Hey, oh, lads. Fuck, sorry, all right. Lads, uh, just wanted to say sorry about all that prancing earlier. <laughs> I don't know what came over me, but it was disrespectful. Uh, you're right there, actually, Sammy. It was. But, you know, fair enough. You've been the bigger man. <laughs> I didn't realise you were in the middle of a slump. Sorry about that. <laughs> um... Our defeat was part of the eight-game sequence where we won only seven points, losing five times. And at the business end of the season, no team with tight aspirations can hit that kind of form and expect to get away with it. Uh, yeah, they, that's tr- to be fair. I mean, as a Sunderland fan, it was a glorious time. Yeah. Their their undoing was spectacular. Um, one I really remember was the Blackburn match, which he talks about here, a weird Blackburn uh, we were on top for most of it, and David Batty put us ahead after 76 minutes. We seemed on course to reinstate our title credentials. Could we close the game down and see up the last quarter of an hour? Well, no, they couldn't. They didn't. Um, Graham Fenton equalised for Blackburn four minutes from the end. A draw was no good to us. We went looking for the winner. Well, a draw would have been better than a defeat. Let's just say that. Yeah. As we piled forward, the same player broke away in the 89th minute to score again. Fenton was a Newcastle supporter who in different times might have been singing his heart out among the thousands of men, women and children wearing black and white stripes in the away end. It was another Geordie, Alan Shearer, who set him up for both goals. Can you believe it? Can you believe that? Yes, I can believe it. It happened. 
Uh, how how come these last minute goals never went our way? Pfft, don't know. Maybe you were setting your team up wrong. Maybe your game management wasn't right. I don't know. Yeah, there's loads of reasons. Too many players were struggling with attention. The only two players who could escape criticism from February onwards were Batty and Steve Watson. Uh, Batty was blamed in some quarters for the team's deterioration simply because his arrival coincided with the slump in results. No, no, it was Faustino Espria. Everyone blamed the arrival of Faustino Espria. Why is he not mentioning this? <laughs> yeah, for fuck's sake. He just says at the start of the chapter that he'd signed the Springer and then there's no mention of it whatsoever later on. Jalapeño. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jalapeño. And Espria was fun. He did score off some good goals early on. But um, that was that was basically it because he changed the shape of the team, didn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, it had no shape because Aspria was a law unto himself. I mean, we'd all been watching him like Kevin and no doubt fucking what's his name, Sir John Hall, Sir John Newcastle, had been watching him on Channel Four on a Sunday playing for Palmer. Yeah. And he just tore shit up every week. You know, Douglas Hall must have jumped on a plane and flown over and bought it. Right, and we're getting him. Back. him. Yeah, call that pilot. Start the, the plane up. Call that lazy fucking pilot. What are you doing? I'm mowing the lawn. I'm, it's, it's a Sunday. No, you're fucking not. You're going up the airfield and fueling up that bastard plane. Guess where we're going? That's right. Back to Italy. Italy again. I've seen a fella just now on the telly. He's absolutely fucking hot stuff. We get over there, by the time the match is finished, we can get him as he comes off the pitch. Yeah, we'll get him in a fucking net if we have to. <laughs> I've noticed Newcastle at the top of the league and doing well, but I reckon they need a bastard like that just to get them over the line, like. No, I haven't spoken to Kevin about it. He'll only throw a spanner in the works. I mean... I think he'll be into it. <laughs> a spray was He's a law unto himself, but he was like, if you were a child, which in many ways Keegan is and was, yeah. like, you'd think, fucking hell. You know, you'd think there's no better player in the world. Even I was excited when they signed Espria. I'm not even a Newcastle yeah. fan. I was just so excited <laughs> that this fucking madman was coming. And I, I seem to remember, I may have imagined it, that he turned up in a snowy Manchester wearing a fur coat. Yeah, it was snow. Yeah, snow in, coming down. Yeah, I think he wore a fur it coat. It might have been cooking. Yeah, he's like, hey, I see it's snowing. Better get the fur coat out. It's a good out. sign, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time to wear my fur coat, I think. 
<laughs> and he also, I mean, so he didn't really, obviously they were a team that had been coached and from what Keegan said there, you know, they had a decent defensive record. They knew what they were doing. But then a spree yeah. and, that, you know, Beardsley and Ferdinand up front, two fucking really professional players. Beardsley well known for being great at running back and winning the ball back in, in attack. Mm. But um, but Espria came in and they sort of had to pick him because he'd cost so much money. Yeah. And he just was one of those players who did whatever the fuck he wanted. But and the main thing about him was he just did an amazing celebration because he did like yeah. a triple somersault, didn't he? That's true. I mean, you're right. He did. He had sort of smoothed off the rough edges of that team. And, and he says himself, he got them more defensive minded. They hadn't scored as many goals as people thought. And it, I think Keegan just went, what does this team now? This team's starting to look a bit boring, even though we're going to win the league. What do we need? We need a lunatic. Let's bring in a lunatic. And they went and got a spray. A real madman. <laughs> um, so our total of 78 points would have won the title the following season and matched Arsenal's number when they finished as champions another year on. But it, it didn't. That was different seasons. So that doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Mm. Um, there was nobody to touch us in the first six months, and throughout the entire season, we only lost one game at home. That, sadly, was against Manchester United. Oh, We played out of our skins, but you could have chucked a handful of rice at Peter Schmeichel, and the big Dane would have kept out every grain. <laughs> that lovely, evocative image. Oh, that's lovely, Double K, that is. Maybe we should underline that bit because it's so good. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I'm sure the readers will pick up on it. <laughs> Maybe we should put an excitement point at the end of it. No, I think that sentence is good enough to stand alone without yeah. an excitement point. What? I just think sometimes you should give yourself a pat on the back for any of your <laughs> achievements in life. It was the greatest goalkeeping performance I'd ever witnessed. And when we came in at halftime, it was already in the back of my mind that it might not be our night. Yeah, mm. it kind of looked like that, didn't it? And Cantona scored that goal against the run of play. Uh, our lead had already been slashed from 12 points to four. A win would have moved to seven clear with a game in hand. And t- and within sight of our first league title since George V was on the throne. <laughs> I don't know why he's put that in, but there we are. <laughs> Now we had Manchester United one point behind us. They were, in the, they were in the ascendancy. And unlike us, they had the experience of being in that position before. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Keep winning matches. Don't sign for Stino or Spreer. Within three weeks, they'd replaced us at the top. Um, so he talks about that Leeds match. You know, his outburst was about um, Leeds. And Ferguson had said that he wondered if Leeds were going to try as hard. Oh, yeah. Played. And for him to say that about someone like Stuart Pearce... But Leeds, Leeds were 13th, so they weren't in the title race. And the weird thing was, which I didn't remember about that match, where Ferguson said that Leeds had tried so hard. Um, Leeds goalkeeper Mark Beanie was sent off after only 17 minutes. Leeds didn't actually have a substitute keeper, so Lucas Radibi went in goal for the remaining Fuck 73 now. minutes. Fuck you now. And United only won 1-0 with a goal from Roy Keane. Radibi's so, got to be one of the best goalkeepers in Premier League history, then. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and then Ferguson obviously came out and said that Leeds tried really hard. But, I mean, when your keeper's been sent off, you're either going to buckle or you're going to really redouble your efforts and just try and get a nil-nil. But then he says that was the season Alan Hansen came out with his infamous line, you can't win anything with kids. Mm. And, of course, Camp Nord come back as well after his suspension for the Kung Fu kick. Mm. 
Um, Newcastle, on the other hand, didn't have a single player with title-winning experience apart from Peter Beardsley mm. until Batty joined us six months into the season. They were all they were all blinking in the light, the harsh light of the title race. Mm. And some of them, it f- blinded, like Keith Gillespie. Yeah. Blind as a bat he was, got too close to the sun. Blind as a bat, but all he had to do was run up and down in a straight line all the time, so he managed to get away with it. And he no was one as knew. good as gold. No one knew he was blind. <clears throat> Manchester United won 13 of their last 15 games, whereas we had started to wilt long before then. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Now, there's no love lost between Alex Ferguson and, and Kevin Keegan, is there? That's no. not a revelation. Alex was not only one of football's greatest managers, he was also one of the profession's finest stirrers. <laughs> <laughs> and his favourite subject that he liked to stir was shit. <laughs> He was a shit-staring fucking cunt. He was what we used to call back in Doncaster a prick. <laughs> a massive twat. But I um, had the utmost respect for him, even though he was a cunt and a prick and also a twat. Yeah. I had so much respect for his footballing achievements, the cunt. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ferguson said Leeds had tried harder than in any other game that season. And they followed that up by questioning whether they'd be so ferociously competitive in their remaining fixtures. What a bastard. It was as subtle as a sledgehammer. Alex knew perfectly well we had a game coming up against Leeds at Ellen Road. He would have known the headlines and his comments would generate, the questions it would raise about the commitment of their players, and he was throwing down a challenge. It was a cheap trick. Uh, Alex will no doubt be congratulated for striking some kind of psychological blow. Oh, he struck a psychological blow with his subtle sledgehammer. With his ah, mind hammer. Ah, my brain. I feel, I feel I've been hit by a psychological sledgehammer. Don't worry, Terry. You know who that is? That shit-staring prick, Alex Ferguson. He's got it's inside just the red. metaphor. It's all right. Take a couple of aspirin, you'll be fine. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Uh, Alex will load that be congratulated, but if that was the intention, I am happy to state I would never stoop to the same level. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, maybe you should, Kev, because it's, it's all fine margins at that level about winning and losing. Mm. So maybe you should have done stuff like yeah. that and you might have won the league. Um, oh God, he goes on again in the next page about it. He, he, he analyses it in forensic detail. There's the stuff about Stuart Pearce. Uh, it was another team that Newcastle had to face. Forrest might go easy on them because of... Oh, I don't fucking know. Um, he points out that Forrest's manager, Frank Clark, played for Newcastle for most of his career. Ferg, the whole crazy story started a snowball. Fergie had set the hair running and it seemed blatantly designed to ensure Forrest tried extra hard against us. But then they won one nil at Elland Road and the lead supporters applauded us off the pitch at the final whistle. Oh, God. The next page, he's, he's just... Transcribed the whole fucking interview, which came after that Leeds match. He's transcribed it all. Just transcribed the whole thing. That will get us closer to the word count. Double K. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! It was quite a show. He says, "I never realised how angry I was till I watched it back. It was pure emotion pouring out, heart on the sleeve stuff." But that was the way I felt, and I wasn't going to bottle it up just because the general rule in football seemed to be that Alex Ferguson was untouchable. <laughs> I was less sympathetic when I read in one of Alex's books a few years later that he had asked Howard if he could have a pop, oh. and that, incredibly, the Leeds manager had no objection. 
Oh, there was collusion between Ferguson and Howard Wilkinson. Fucking Howard Wilkinson. Howard, come here, you little shit. <laughs> Think, right, I want to go talk to the press later on and tell them that you, you lads tried really hard. Well, we didn't know. You, you beat us 1-0. I don't care. I don't care. I'm trying to get one over Keegan. So I'm going to go out there and just see you try really hard. You all right with that? I don't care. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Say whatever you want. Good. He's a fiver. I owe you He's one now. He's the pictures. But I tell you, never come and ask to call this fever in. Never. Here's five pounds. Go and buy yourself something pretty. We're straight now. <laughs> He and Howard were close, whereas Howard was no friend of mine. Oh, now it's all covered out. It turned out they had cooked it up in advance. What utter bastards. I wonder why all these people weren't friends with Kevin Keegan. I know, I can't imagine it. Begs a question, well, it? Well, it could be mm. that he was such a big superstar, as we've found and discussed, that maybe yeah. during that era where he was just everywhere... And he, you know, people might have thought yeah. that he milked it because these were different times. Now, footballers as celebrities is very well established, you know, in the post David Beckham era. Everyone's a brand, everyone yeah. does commercial endorsements, it's very commonplace. But back then, it was extremely rare. Keegan was almost the first one, certainly from this country, to be doing things like releasing pop singles, having his own range of this, that, and the other. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe that, those old fashioned sort of players. Might have just thought that it was inappropriate. The likes of uh, Ferguson and Howard Wilkinson probably just thought he was an arsehole. Yeah, that's what I'm basically saying, yeah. Pretty much. Um, it, it then escalates even further. We were sitting pretty top of the league. Mm. It got back to us. The News of the World had arranged an editorial meeting because everything was going too well for Newcastle. Uh-oh. And it was time to put a stick of dynamite beneath them, a good news story. Bullshit. They were intent on ambushing us, and we found out a team of Screws journalists had been dispatched to the northeast with the explicit instructions to get some shit on us. Bruh. <laughs> All I can say, though, is the best team won the league. <laughs> no, with no bitterness whatsoever. Fucking hell. Yeah, it did go to the final day. United still needed a result. But um, they won at Middlesbrough. And Newcastle just drew 1-1 with Spurs. So, um, what it proved to me that Alex would do anything to win, whereas the same could not be said of me. There was a line I would not cross because if I'd been wired the same way, I might have added some mischievous spin to the fact that Brian Robson, a Manchester United legend, was now Middlesbrough's manager. Oh. Uh-oh. I'm saying I'm not saying it, but I could say it if I wanted to say it. I could it. have said it. Yeah, but if I, I didn't. If a prick like him, there's plenty I could have said, which I won't. Here's a list of things I could have said that and I didn't forget, say. I'm not saying them. I'm just writing them down so it doesn't count. <laughs> fucking hell and then another page going on about Ferguson uh, would I want to go for a drink with him not really would he want to break bread with me probably not mm-hmm. we are very different people but I do have the utmost respect for him and when he asked me to, a few years later to do him a favour on behalf of a charity venture in Scotland I was happy to help I fucking did it <laughs> I bet I it was the parachute jump I, I was a bigger fucking man and I fucking did it Life moves on, and I was delighted he recovered so well from the brain hemorrhage he suffered in the spring of 2018. (laughs) Do I hold a grudge? Absolutely not. I'm glad his brain's all fixed now. (laughs) I mean, Ah. 
you know, you've got to ask yourself, maybe he did all that shit staring, it's gonna pay, you're going to have to pay a price sooner or later. Yeah, you're going to twist up your brain. brain. didn't it? Yeah, you stirred so much shit, your fucking brain almost exploded, you fucking scotch cunt. Remember that song, Twisting My Melons, man? Well, now you know how it yeah. fucking feels, now you know what you were on about. <laughs> but like, like I say, I'm happy for him. Yeah. But I wouldn't go for a drink with a cunt. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> That's the 95-96 season. Great season. We'll, next episode, we'll look at the fallout from that and how Kev reacted. Mm. Uh, spoiler alert, he went and splurged a load of money on Alan Shearer. Yeah. It was probably the best thing to do. Right. That's that then. Yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. As always, it's a pleasure to be in your ears and in your head and your brains. Let's hope we never trigger any brain hemorrhages in any of our listeners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tomorrow. Bye. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,